always of God's people. So it is really good to be with you. As you know, we've been in this series called Be Bold, and I hope it has been as encouraging for you as it has been for me. And today, I have the unique privilege of preaching the message, Bold Witness. <laughs> yes, but one, one person gets excited about Bold Witness. <laughs> bold Witness. So um, pray with me, and then I'd like to start with a story. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here, getting us here safely. Thanks for Pastor Aaron. Uh, thank you for Brody and for all who are not with us today that are part of this Highlands family. Uh, keep us surrounded and safe, Lord, as we travel. But more than anything, we ask that you'd open our hearts and our ears to the word that you have um, allowed me to now prepare for this family. And we pray, Lord, as we think about being a bold witness, that you would encourage us to put fear aside or wondering aside and simply to remember the goodness of what it means to be your children, to have been brought and saved by grace through faith. And so, Lord, uh, as we sit back and we listen, Lord God, would you give us hands that are open, hearts that are open to receive what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So not long ago, my husband and I were at a local mall. And I don't know why we were there by ourselves, because we have two daughters that love to shop. And so we must have escaped or slid out or did something or they were at an overnight, but we were uh, at a local mall and we were standing waiting for caribou or something of that nature. So we were sitting, standing there together, just kind of chit-chatting. And then out of the corner of our eye, about 20 paces from us, we saw a small group of about three people that were in a cluster. And they were standing very close together and we could see that they had something in their hands, but we weren't sure what it was. And as they were talking in this huddle, ever so often, one individual would step back, would turn, and would look at another young man that was about 20 paces away. So my husband and I started chuckling to each other like, <laughs> what's, what, I mean, what's happening? Should we mind our own business or should we be watching what's happening? And so we kept watching what was happening. And all of a sudden, this group of three people broke formation made a beeline for this young man, surrounded this young man, and, and kind of put their arms around each other and started talking to him. It looked like one person vaguely mumbled a prayer. We were standing there stunned, and then they walked away about three minutes later. And so we got our coffee, and the young man just simply picked up his phone and started texting. And we just didn't feel quite right. So I walked over, youth pastor that I am, intro introvert that I am, I just saun sauntered on over there and I said, hey, sir, are you, are you okay? He's like, yeah, those Christian people do that kind of thing to me all the time. You know, they kind of, I don't know if they think I'm just an easy target, but they come over and they mumble some kind of prayer. And I said, and what did you do? He said, oh yeah, I just mumble it all the time. I said, do you, do you believe what, did, did they share Christ with you? He's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I just prayed the prayer. And I said, okay, son, I got to tell you, as a Christian, <laughs> I'm really embarrassed and I'm really sorry. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, that's not really the way that we, that we do stuff. I said, did they ask your name? He said, no. Well, okay, so then my husband's eyes kind of went half mass and he got, and he turned and he looked and I was like, oh, Jesus, save us from arrest. And so my husband made a beeline for these other folks and I just kind of stood there for a minute with that young man and I just said, son, I'm really sorry. Like, the gospel is worth knowing. It is worth sharing. But 
it doesn't happen just in three minutes, and it certainly doesn't happen without knowing your name, and I just deeply apologize. So my husband made a beeline, and he went over to those guys, and he said, excuse me, who are you guys? They said, oh, we're from such and such a church, and he said, and so what was that you just did? They're like, oh, we just shared the gospel with him. He said, in three minutes? Did you ask his name? Did you ask how he was going to get to church? Did you ask if he had any prayer requests or needs? Well, no, that's not really our responsibility. He said, I dare say as a brother in Christ and a Christian, it is your responsibility. And you just made it harder for the rest of us who do want to try to share Jesus Christ. Now, that is what I would call hit and run evangelism. <laughs> hit it, quit it, flee, get out of the scene. Leave the rest up to God. Do I know whether or not that eventually had fruit in that young man's life? I don't know. Did I feel a sense of sorrow and dread? Yes. Why? Because for all of us who have ever thought about sharing the gospel with someone, I feel like that is often the image that we have that comes to mind. Or it's someone that comes to your door and everybody sneaks by and closes the curtains really quick and we're not home and shut off the lights. We're <laughs> don't, don't answer the door. Right? We get these feelings about being witnesses where really it shouldn't be like that. As those who have been saved by grace through faith, sharing our gospel, sharing the gospel with people really is an inside-out work. In other words, if you can't remember what Jesus Christ did in your own life, and if he's not still doing something in your life to the point that you want to share it with other people, we're missing the point. The gospel is about, not about notches in our belt. It's not about somebody, us being able to go back to our church and saying, we saved X number of people, but none of those people ever show up. Some of you in this room feel that same kind of thing, like, man, what would it look like for the body of Christ to have ease and conversation, a relationship? We've got the Super Bowl that's coming up. Inviting somebody that you know is not a believer just to come to the house and, and experience fun with other people because there are people out there who have images of us as Christians that does not help to grow and proliferate the gospel. So when we think about this idea of being a bold witness— I want us to, I want to unpack a little bit of an idea of, one, demystifying the idea of what it means to be a witness, but two, encouraging you to be a bold witness. And I want to begin with the story of the Apostle Paul that we find in Acts chapter 9. And if you go to Acts chapter 9, verse 1, you will remember the story of the Damascus Road where the Apostle Paul, who was once known as Saul, came to faith in Christ. Saul was a zealot, a Jew's Jew, somebody who loved the law, someone who was learned in the temple, and someone who could not stand this new revelation, this new church called the way that had come out of Jesus Christ. It is known and thought that he was present, Saul was present at the stoning of Stephen, that he was present when the, the garments of Jesus Christ were torn and they cast lots at the crucifixion of Jesus. And so while he knew the, the Torah, he was a religious man. He didn't really know what it was to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we find that Saul is accompanied by a group of men, and all of a sudden there is a light that comes from heaven. He's knocked off of his donkey, and he says, Saul, Saul, the voice of Jesus, why are you persecuting me? 
Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one that you persecute. I can't imagine in that moment what Saul must have felt, this one who had been learned in the law, the Torah, who thought he knew everything, who thought that the Messiah was going to come like David had come, riding in on a horse. And all of a sudden, he was, in many ways, face to face with the one whose people he had persecuted. Everyone throughout D Damascus and Jerusalem knew of Saul. He struck terror in the very hearts of people. And now, in an instant, he became one of them. No longer just a, a zealot and a Jew. He now became one whose spiritual eyes had been opened. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. The word of God says that while his eyes were open, he was struck. He could not see, nor could he speak. And God sent him into the town to find one named Ananias and go to a street called Straight, where he could neither see nor speak for three days. God then spoke to Ananias, it tells us, and I'm paraphrasing, and said, Ananias, I want you to go to a street called Straight, and there you will find Saul of Tarsus, and there I want you to lay hands on him and tell him what, you must, what he must do. I don't know about you, but if I was Ananias, I would have had an argument with Jesus immediately. I'd be like, um, I'm not going to go talk to a terrorist and lay hands on him because, you know, he could be faking it for all I know. Uh, you're the Christ. You do your own work. He said, nope. I want you to go, and I want you to trust me, and I want you to lay hands on him, and I want him to know how much he will have to suffer for my sake. So Ananias lays hands on him, and immediately what we see is a transformation of epic proportions. This one Saul of Tarsus, this one who used to be a hater of Christians, now became one who could see the light, his eyes were open, and he started preaching in Damascus. He started preaching not just the name of God, but the name of Jesus. How many know the name of Jesus makes a difference? In the culture, people don't care if you mention God. God could be lots of things. It is when you mention Jesus, the Christ, when you dare say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man could come unto the Father except through him, that people start to get antsy. Because then the window of opportunity for heaven becomes very narrow and very specific. And so here we see Saul is now preaching, and he's preaching for some time in Damascus and in the portion of the scripture that is above your head. I want you to look at what happens then when now Saul, who is now known as Paul, starts to preach this gospel. Acts chapter 6, verses 9, verses 26 through 31 says, When he, Paul, arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, that means other believers, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. However, one called Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus and how he had spoken to him and how at Damascus Saul had preached openly and spoken confidently in the name of Jesus. So he was with them, moving around freely as one among them in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. He was talking and arguing with the Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews, but they were attempting to kill him. When the brothers found out about the plot, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, his hometown. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace without persecution, being built up in wisdom, virtue, and faith. 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort and encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it continued to grow. Now, I don't know about you, but I long to be the kind of witness that even when there are objections, even when my family turns away from me, and they have and they do, even when there are difficulties, I want the kind of boldness that Paul had to continue to be a witness. Before we found this portion of scripture, it says he was preaching so boldly that the Jews were confused. Could you imagine him having been the head of the Jews, of those who were so zealous? Could you see them now mocking him? You're no Jew. You were never one of us. You're a fake. You're an artificial. You're a phony. He automatically took hits for being a believer in Jesus Christ, not only from those who he used to serve along, but now we see in Acts chapter 9 from those who were believers in Christ. It says he was preaching boldly and spoke confidently in the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, in order for us to be bold witnesses, we've got to have confidence in the name of Jesus. Not confidence always in theology, not confidence in what we see on a screen, not always confidence there, but in the living, loving, living Lord who transformed my life, and I pray has or shall, in short order, transform yours. It's not just about going to church. That's what Saul did. He showed up and he was a zealous person, but he had no internal witness that he had been changed until he had an experience with Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's an experience with Jesus. Not my girlhood going to parochial schools and not all the things I did. It was an experience with Jesus that transformed my life, that took me from a scared, bullied, picked on kid, wondering where I fit, overwhelmed by not fitting anywhere into somebody who could actually proclaim the gospel. Now, I'm not going to stand in front of you and tell you that I love witnessing, but I understand the necessity of it. Anyone else, like, doesn't love the idea of witnessing? I'm not suggesting that your witness has to be having a boombox on a corner with a microphone saying, you're a sinner, and you're a sinner, and you're a sinner. I'm not suggesting that that's the only way. What if it's taking cookies across the street to someone? Again, brothers, inviting somebody to a, a football game or going down to see the Timberwolves. What if it, you know that somebody is suffering? Young people, what if it's you have an inkling of knowing Jesus Christ and you go sit by the kid that nobody else goes to sit by? What if it's just risking just a little bit, asking God, Lord, let my light shine just a little bit brighter? Let not my objections or my fears or my worries or my what ifs keep me from planting the seed of faith in somebody. Because I can guarantee you if somebody didn't risk it for me, I don't know that I would be a Christian even though I grew up in church. I don't know that I would have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we see in this portion, we see that, that Saul po preached boldly in the name of Jesus, and he was speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord, even in the midst of opposition. It says that when he first came, left Damascus and came to Jerusalem, nobody believed that this Saul of Tarsus that everybody was afraid of had actually changed until there was a Barnabas. All of us need a Barnabas. All of us need a big brother or a big sister in ministry, that when we're fumbling and bumbling and we're not the best Christians, or we don't know how to read the word, or we don't know what translation of Bible to buy. We don't know that a Barnabas, a big brother or sister, will take us by the hand and introduce us. 
that there'll be a life group for someone to say, you belong here, welcome. I've had Barnabases that even though I'm a seasoned Christian, were the ones that in December took me by the hand and said, you're welcome here. Even when you're a believer, it's not always clear to know where you belong. And Barnabas took him by the hand and it said he brought him to the apostles, the heads of the church to say, no, I've really seen it. It's true. I saw Saul turn to Paul. I saw him preach boldly in front of the Jews. And despite the mockery, I saw him stand up in the name of Jesus, not just Yahweh, not just Jehovah, but Jesus the Christ. I've seen it with my own eyes. Any of the rest of you ever seen a walking miracle with your own eyes? Maybe you're the walking miracle. The people who once would say, nah, you can't be a Christian. I knew you when. You were the biggest drinker on campus. Nobody believes you. We know X, Y, and Z. How many of you know that no matter where you've been or what you have done, nothing can even rival the transformation of Jesus Christ in your life? Don't look to the left or the right. You don't have to compare yourself to anyone else. Be faithful and walk forward. Know the scripture and not just the scripture. Know the Lord of the scriptures. So the word of God is so on the inside of you that you will find a way to share the gospel with somebody. The word goes on to tell us that he was even arguing with the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, who were attempting to kill him. Now that's a bold witness. When you can stand toe-to-toe with people who would rather take your life and you will yet share Jesus Christ because the transformation in you is so vast that you are looking at them and saying, brother, you are blind, but I want you to see. I want you to see in technicolor the risen Savior like I see. Amen? Friends, boldness, when we think about it, boldness is not confident or aggressive in a rude manner. It's not about um, hit-and-run evangelism. It's not about telling people that they're automatically going to hell. That's not what being a bold witness is about. Boldness is not dependent on human skills or scholarship, though practicing your own testimony is important. How many of you think that you can actually tell somebody, you have an elevator speech or can tell somebody in three minutes or less how you came to know Jesus? If you don't, practice it. Because these days, this is about all we've got. You ever thought about buying coffee for somebody and coming up next to them and saying, here, let me get that, and they say, why? Maybe you can just say, because Jesus paid it forward for me, so I want to do the same thing for you. It doesn't have to be that hard. Brother, let me get that for you. Let me pay for somebody's groceries. Let me walk across the street. Let me care for somebody. It doesn't matter necessarily the method. What matters is your heart, your intentionality, and your love for somebody else who is lost. Because if you don't believe that heaven and hell is real, and you don't believe that Jesus is still moving and changing lives, you won't risk it. But here's what gives me courage. There are brothers and sisters all over the world who die today for this gospel. Who are putting themselves in the face of death for this gospel. Afghanistan is now the most dangerous place in the world to live as a Christian. Followed by North Korea. China. Nigeria. Yemen. These places that it is actually a terrifying thing. Right now in Afghanistan, the Taliban have lists of names of Christians. And they are looking for those Christians. 
so that they can execute them in a public square simply for believing in Jesus Christ. What is their prayer? Not send an airplane, but give us courage. What if we prayed the same prayer that our brothers and sisters are praying? Lord, don't take me out of it. Don't let me be dismissed from my comfort, but give me courage to stand in the face of people who may mock me. You may lose a friend. You may lose family, but you have gained eternity, so who cares? I have family members who have literally said, we have nothing in common with you. Do I cry tears? Yes. But my heart is more broken for them, and I'd rather keep Jesus than to continue to live in that. Here's the other reality. Do you know, as I said before, that we are family? And that because of the blood of Jesus, you and I are more family than people I am related to. If you are saved by grace through faith, that makes us family. That means that we ought to be standing together and fighting together, not against one another, not against strange doctrines and ideologies. We ought to be linking arms and saying, who needs help? We're running into the fire. Let's go. Where you're not bold, I'm bold. Where you're bold, I may not be bold. But together, we can run into the fire. Somebody's got to run into the fire. Somebody's got to be a bold witness. Somebody's got to tell people Jesus is still at the helm. So it's not about all that. It's not about winning an argument or being right. It's not about being an extrovert so all of you introverts wave at me. You're not off the hook. It's not about being an extrovert, and it's not about manipulation. Boldness is the quality of being brave and confident, not afraid to say what you feel or to take risks. I will tell you that to be a bold witness does require some risk. But once you have chosen to share the gospel with someone, even just once, or invite them into an opportunity just one-on-one, once you witness the light come on for someone, Once you witness somebody, once somebody becomes vulnerable with you, you will completely realize, man, maybe I made it harder than it needed to be. Maybe it's really not that hard. What does it mean then to be bold and to be a bold witness? The word in Greek for witness is martu, someone who sees something significant or amazing. Now, someone who's been in ministry for 30 years, especially with young people, I've seen a lot of amazing things. I've done probably a lot of amazing things to get them to that amazing point. I've eaten a lot of crazy things. I've done a lot of crazy things. I've slept on some really uncomfortable mattresses. I've done a lot of weird things. But the fruit is so sweet. The fruit is so sweet. And so witness is a matter of seeing something significant or amazing. And being a witness is to share what one has seen, something that is amazing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 5 says, You know, brothers and sisters, and this is Paul now speaking, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. In other words, here Paul is giving us a case for what it looks like to be a witness. We're not using flattery. We're not trying to trick you. 
We're not trying to put on a mask. We're not playing a game. We are simply coming to you with the revelation of what happened on the inside of our lives, and we're sharing it with you. We're not asking you that you do anything in return, but give a nod of affirmation that what we have done has come out of pure hearts. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6 and 9 through 12 says, Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is what Paul is talking about, the letter, the Old Testament. He's saying, I used to be under that and it kills, but this new covenant, this new opportunity, this new gospel, we have the opportunity to be confident through God. In other words, brothers and sisters, God is the one that gives you confidence. God is the one that will give you confidence. For those of you who are shaking and not in your boots, just thinking about the idea of sharing Jesus, what if you just prayed, God, would you give me an open and willing heart and an opportunity to do it, even when I feel like I'm overwhelmed? Even Paul was overwhelmed. Even Paul was exhausted. He said, if the ministry that brought condemnation that I was under was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison to the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, we have such a hope and we are very bold. Brothers and sisters, to be a bold witness, we need to pray and trust that God is at work in us. So let me give you a few things that I think being a bold witness requires that I found in my own life. One, being a bold witness requires true conversion. It means that you need to have not necessarily a Damascus Road experience, but you need to have a point in your walk with God where you have said, Lord, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I've wanted you to save everybody else and fix everybody else and save everybody else. But Lord, I need to draw a circle around my life and I need the revival to begin with me. I need you to help me to forgive people that I'd rather not forgive. I ask you, Lord, that you would help me to pray for my enemies and those who have despitefully used me. Lord, I want the conversion, like Saul, to be so clear in my life and to the life of others that there is no doubt in my mind that, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that you are working the same miracle in my life that you did in the life of others. So knowing and trusting that God has done a true work in your life is essential because when you trust that that conversion is true, that there are no limits on God, you will continue to reach for him and grow in him. Two, being a bold witness requires trust in the Lord and his transformative work in your life. I've been walking with Jesus 30 years and I still feel like there's stuff that I'm not figuring out. Amen for all the seasoned folks. How many of you have been walking with God for a while and you're like, dang, I can't believe I just fell for another trap of Satan. <laughs> you ever feel that way? Like how long, God, do I have to be walking with you before I actually feel like I got a hang of this thing? Well, here's the reality. As long as we are disciples, as long as we are growing, we're going to keep growing until Jesus returns or until we breathe our last breaths. There's never a time that I want to be so knowledgeable of the gospel to think I know so much about Jesus that I tire of him. Amen? 
I want to keep being drawn in. I want to keep seeing miracles. I want to keep going deeper and wider. And so while I trust God's transformative work in my life, trust me, my life B.C., before Christ, and my life A.D., are two different things. I was a good girl, but I was a master liar. I mean master. I could get my parents to give me things and do what I want. I could cover up things. I was like David Copperfield times. I could work a mirage and a story. Anyone else? Like I could, like there's stuff where you're just saying, God, thank you for delivering me. It just brings you to a point of praise. God, thank you that my life before Christ doesn't have to look like here. And when you recognize it was grace that saved you, it is grace that you will extend to other people. When you look back at your old life and you look at your life now and say, God, it was only you who could work this miracle. When you trust his work in your life, he will keep moving you forward. Ephesians six nineteen says, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. What if each one of you printed that off, Ephesians 6.19, and put that on your refrigerator and said, this is a regular part of my prayer. Lord, I pray, and I'm asking my friends to pray, that the right words would be given to me every time I open my mouth to make known with boldness, there's that word again, the mystery of the gospel. I want you to think about praying that. Because here's the reality. I recognize that some of us aren't ready, but some of us aren't willing. Some of us aren't willing. And if you're not willing, I pray that you would ask God to make you willing. And with the creativity and the uniqueness of who you are, ask God furthermore, Lord, show me, put in my presence, put in my path, somebody who needs the gospel. Because you need to understand that God is not trying to set you up being a bold witness to embarrass you. If God puts somebody on your mind and heart, you can best believe that he's also preparing them. Have you ever walked up to somebody and just said, hey, I don't know if this resonates with you, but God just wanted me to share this with you. The number of times that people will say, how did you even know that? Because what it does is it bears witness to God. Rather than the transaction of what I started, the story I said, the hit and run, it's like, how did you know something so deep? How did you know something so intimate? Because the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you, and if you dare be a bold witness, not out of arrogance or anything else, but just out of, hey, brother, hey, sister, I just wanted to be able to share this with you. I don't even know that this is right, but I just thought I would offer this. Or you young people going to sit by somebody or breaking up a fight or starting see you at the poll at your schools and fighting for Christ to be back in these public schools. Everything is allowed in the public schools but Jesus. Who's going to fight to get Jesus back in the public schools? Who's going to fight to ensure that our kids can pray? Who's going to make sure that coaches who are Christians can actually pray with their athletes and their football teams without getting kicked out? I'm wanting the church to be bold. I want the church to be alive. I want the church to be passionate. I don't want people to have to look here and near and far. Here's why. Because people are choosing other things beyond the gospel. I don't want to bury any more kids. I'm tired of sitting at the graveside of kids. And if we can be just a little bit more bolder and we can get behind, get behind your youth ministries, get behind Brody, get behind your youth ministries, never think that it is too early to start with your babies and others sharing with them the reality of Jesus.
pray for a willing and open heart and pray for the Holy Spirit's infilling and leading you to Jesus Christ and leading others to Jesus Christ. I know being a bold witness does not sound like fun. How many of you would agree with me and just be honest? You're like, I get it. I get the hairball in your throat. I get it. But the reality is, this is what we're called to. Not just those of us who preach and teach. This is the life that we are called to. We are soldiers in the army. We are believers. We are spirit-filled. We are spirit-led. Someone by grace brought us to Christ. Find a way to be a bold witness. Not out of pride or arrogance, but out of the truth of what it is to love and know Jesus Christ. And so if you would pray with me as we think about what it is to be a bold witness. And I want us to pray as we, uh, as we think about being a bold witness, because as we prepare to take communion, I want us to remember why we take communion. We were asked by our Lord and Savior to take communion to remember. To remember what it was that he did for us, the sacrifice that he made for us. This new covenant ratified in his blood so that we could clearly be witnesses to a world that does not know him. And so, Lord, as we bow our heads and we surrender ourselves to you thinking about what it means to be a bold witness, Lord, would you give us courage? Would you give us supernatural courage to some way, somehow just lean in, be a little bit brighter light, would you open our eyes to the people that are around us? God, there are people around us smiling every day. Every day there are people around us, though, who are also hurting, that there's brokenness behind their smiles. There's brokenness in the family next door or across the street from us. And while we think oftentimes, well, that's not my business, Lord, the transformative work of Jesus Christ is our business. Lord, some of us will plant the seed through an invitation, a tray of cookies, an invitation to a game, an opportunity to host a Bible study at work, buying somebody coffee or groceries. Many of us will plant seeds. Some of us will water those seeds, meaning we're coming behind somebody else who already planted that seed. And our stepping next to somebody in love and grace just with our testimony will draw somebody and say, man, somebody once told me about Jesus once. And some of us will reap the harvest. We will be a part of seeing people walk down this aisle. Or in our new building, we'll see people walk towards us and say, man, this brother at work just shared with me boldly or invited me to work or, and it just changed my heart. God, no matter the method, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the wisdom and the revelation to be bold as we step forward to share it? Because the world is in need. Satan is dark and his darkness encroaches upon the land. But Lord, the darker the world, the brighter the Christ. And so as we, Lord, prepare to take this communion, would you, Lord God, uh, settle upon our hearts and seal upon our hearts what it means to be witnesses for you in this day, in this age. Lord, you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Help us to be bold today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you would take your communion cups and you would take the wafer in front of you, 
The scripture says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. It says he broke the bread, he gave thanks. And then he said, take all of you and eat. This body is my body broken for you. Let's eat. In the same way, he took the cup. Again, he blessed it, he gave thanks. And he said, this is my blood that has been shed for you. It is the blood of the new and the everlasting covenant. So often as you partake and drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink. And so Lord, would you help us to be bold witnesses by the eating and the drinking and the remembrance of you, O God. Maybe not not be afraid to be bold witnesses, but instead be witnesses that in our own unique way will share Christ with the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship.